Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 179 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Ruth Knight. Dr. Ruth Knight is a researcher and lecturer in nonprofit management and social enterprise at QUT's Australian Centre for Philanthropy and Nonprofit Studies. Ruth has extensive experience in not-for-profit leadership roles and has spent many years researching how workplace culture can achieve engaged workforces and organisational sustainability. Her special interests are measuring social outcomes and developing high-performing leaders and teams. Ruth is on a mission to advance quality research and practice in the sector to enable organisations to create effective strategies to improve their impact. So in today's podcast, we'll discuss Ruth's insights into the changing non-profit and philanthropy landscape. We'll get Ruth's insights and perspective on social enterprise opportunities, and we'll hear what Ruth believes can be done to build a culture of empathy. So Ruth, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Tom. Very excited to have a chat today. It is exciting. So to kick things off, Ruth, could you please share a little bit about your background and what led you to working in the philanthropy and non-profit sectors? Yeah, well, I grew up in England in a family that was very aware of social justice issues. So I think really even from my childhood, um, I was very exposed to some of the social issues that, um, you know, the community was facing. In particular, my parents were foster parents and Mm. uh, they worked in the church and they worked in the community. So I think, yeah, even from a very young age, I was exposed to some of these issues. And then I also took a trip overseas and um, went to India and and, uh, saw the work of the Missionaries of Charity, Mother Mother Teresa's Charity. Mm. And, And so all of that sort of really built in with me, I suppose, an idea that I should also do something around community health. Um, So I went back to England after my trip to India and trained as a nurse and started to work in in community health as well, particularly with homeless young people Mm. and really, really loved what I was learning about um, homelessness. Obviously, that was the particular area that I was working in. And I I spent nearly 20 years in youth work and homelessness and housing, those areas, and really thinking about, you know, what are the factors that contribute to homelessness and, you know, what what were some of the potential solutions to breaking the cycle of homelessness. So that's really kind of what got me into working, I suppose, in this sector and a real big interest in, you know, social solutions and, and social innovation. Wonderful. It's been a really interesting journey, Ruth. So then as a postdoc research fellow at the Australian Centre for Philanthropy and Nonprofit Studies at QUT, can you tell us a little bit more about the centre and, and the sort of research that you're all undertaking there? 
Yeah, well, again, I'll also just talk about my personal journey and how I even came here. Oh, be good to Because hear. after, you know, 20 years of working in the housing and homelessness space, um, I was still really searching for answers myself and really was trying to think about how we could, you know, become better leaders, um, become more successful organisations. Yeah. And so I was doing a lot of consultancy actually at this point and really sort of talking to a lot of organisations and what they were thinking about in terms of social innovation and outcomes. And that was what led me to the centre. The centre opened uh, nearly 20 years ago by uh, Professor Miles McGregor Lowndes, who was a lawyer but also an academic. And he was also, um, you know, grappling with a lot of the issues that the sector was facing mm. with back then. And so he decided to open the centre to provide a place where um, professionals, you know, working in the sector could come and learn about, uh, you know, how to run their organisation. So he was particularly keen on, on governance and accounting and ethics and law, you know, and this was, you know, nearly 20 years ago now. So it was really at the edge of when yeah. the sector was becoming much more professionalised and people were out there really searching answers and confidence around how to run their organisations. And so I was one of those people and um, I ended up myself here and just really found it an incredible place of like-minded individuals who were both lecturing at the time and also studying um, because most people that come here are already working in the sector yep. and they're of a leadership level of some form or they might be wanting to move into leadership. Mm. And so they come here really wanting to connect and discuss issues and think about outcomes and innovation and, you know, some of the latest research that's going on. And so the so centre now has been doing this for 20 years and, of course, now I'm here um, after that long journey of being a student myself to to be part of the, the centre. And I, as you said at the beginning, I'm also a lecturer here um, as, part, as well as being a researcher. And so what we do at the centre is really that, that two-pronged approach. We, we use education as a way of building capacity and capability within the sector and we love working with leaders and we offer courses in um, all sorts of some of those uh, traditional things that everybody needs to know about, like the governance and yep. the ethics and the accounting. But we also do some really great pieces of research and people can come and do that as part of their study. Or we just get involved with different organisations who are thinking about research and how they can use data and insights from data and different types of research to inform their decisions about their design of their services or, um, in, in, in my case, it's culture and leadership. Um, I've done a lot of my PhD was all around how can we build thriving workplace cultures where people are open to change, uh, which, as you would know, is critically important yeah. for our organisations who want to be entrepreneurial, who want to uh, get better outcomes for uh, clients and the community. 
So that's our two-pronged approach, really, is really the education and the research. And we get out there and try and meet as many people as we can to understand what the sector is facing. Um, but we also get out there to look at the trends and, and what what the future looks like for the, for the sector as well, because we want to be really helping the sector flourish and thrive as we go over the next 10, 20 years. Mm. Well, it sounds like a really, really interesting workplace and, and, a, and a great place to be undertaking some of that research. So what are some of the key changes then that you've observed? I mean, you spoke a little bit about observing these trends. So what sort of trends have you seen in this non-profit sector and, and how have you observed non-profits adapting to this changing environment? Yeah, there's been a lot of change, I think, over the last 10, 10 20 years. Um, I think for me the, the biggest one is really this sense of accountability. Mm. Um, you know, 20 years ago, if you were a charity, you were just considered good because you were a charity. You know, you were just, if you worked with the community, there was some sort of assumption that you did good work. And, uh, you know, if you applied for a grant or if you asked for a donation, again, there would be some assumption that you were doing good. But I think over the last 10 years, that's really changed quite a lot in terms of, and I call it the era of accountability now, but where we're actually donors, funders, the community, even our beneficiaries are starting to say, well, okay, you're a charity or you're in the nonprofit sector, but what actually are you doing yeah. to reduce? you know whatever it is that you're looking at whether it's homelessness or domestic violence or you know what the environmental issues whatever it is that you're working on people are starting to actually question and say well have you got evidence that what you're doing your services your solutions are actually making a difference mm. you know is it reducing what you're trying to solve is it increasing well-being is it you know improving people's lives so I think that's one of the biggest ones I've seen for me, and, and you would know that a lot of people are talking about measuring outcomes yep. and how we report our outcomes. So that's another huge trend that kind of like has come off the back of this era of accountability that we're now having to really think about, well, yeah, we believe we're doing some really good work here or we run a great program, but how do we really know that? How do we collect the evidence that it is actually a good program, it's being effective, it's being efficient with the money that people are giving us or the donations that we're, we're being given? So I think that that measuring and reporting on outcomes is a is an incredibly important issue, and and again, many organisations are grappling with that because there's no one size fits all yep. for the answer to that. Um, there's many different ways that you can actually measure and report outcomes, um, but uh, it's important to build trust. Uh, we've done some work here at the centre on trust and how much our donors are trusting the sector. And if we want to be better, uh, you know, funded and if we want people to invest in what we're doing, we have to build that trust. Yeah. And uh, reporting and, and, or measuring and reporting on our outcomes um, is one of them. Yeah, absolutely. So from a funding or philanthropy perspective then, you believe there's a much higher expectation that, there is that measurement of outcomes. Absolutely. And I think even funders themselves are also thinking about that. So, yeah. you know, when you've got fuss, uh, trusts and foundations who yeah. are, you know, giving away their money, um, they are also thinking about, well, how are we reporting to our funders or our donors, mm. you know, because obviously that, that channel of 
accountability. And so uh, the foundations that we're working with are very much more saying these days, well, we want to give to community organisations or social enterprise, it can be that as well, um, but we really want to know whether it's a good investment. Yeah. You know, and so they're asking for theories of change, they're asking for uh, measurement plans, they're asking for frameworks and asking these organisations to tell them, well, how will you report back to us about the difference that you're making? Mm, yeah, how interesting. So if we talk a little bit more about sort of building cultures of empathy and, and qualities of giving and volunteering, how do you believe we can best build that culture within our younger generations? Because I know it's an, an area that you're, you're quite passionate about as well. Yes. Uh, lots of the research says that we really need to um, create culture from, from a very young age in terms of philanthropy and giving and, and that social entrepreneurship. So I, I think there's a, a few different things that we can do. And I've got two little ones as well. I've got a 10 and a 12-year-old. So I'm really thinking very seriously about what I'm doing. And, of course, I told you I'm from a family that built it within me yeah, early. Yeah. And one of your daughters stole the show at the, the Funding Network recent event in Brisbane. She was amazing. Yes, yes you met her. That's right. She was um, so excited when she got asked by the Funding Network to um, give a report back about the organisations that had funded the pre had been funded the previous year. And so um, speaking in front of, like, was there 100, 200 yeah. philanthropists sitting there, adults, most of them were adults, yeah, she just really loved that, but it really made her think about the role of, of younger people and children mm. and how they could really speak um, in that space of philanthropy. And, and she came, we've digressed a little bit, haven't we here, Tom? Oh, but I really, <laughs> I really want to tell you that she, before that Funding Network meeting, she went round all of her friends and asked them to give anything. So it could have been a dollar or it could have been more than that. She collected that money and she told them that she was coming to the funding network and she was going to donate that money to these charities and she told them about the charities and what they were doing and it really gave her a voice. I mean, she's mm. 12 and yeah. it really um, allowed her to share with her friends um, why she was supporting these organisations and why she felt it was important to give some of her pocket money to them. It would have been, I think, in many ways, a really, really important lesson for her and, and will certainly influence how she behaves down the track. Yeah, so in answer to your question, I'll get back to your question. <laughs> um, I think that really what I'm trying to do and which I think that many parents perhaps can do is really just make their children socially aware. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, you only have to watch the news for one night and you've got a plethora of you know, topics to discuss with them yeah. in terms of what's going on in the news. But really getting them from a young age to critically analyse some of those stories, not just go, oh, isn't the world terrible? Yeah, you know, yeah. and isn't there a lot of crime and homelessness? And, you know, you know, you could just become a very negative person and get them to be very judgmental. But you also have the option of kind of really exploring it with them. And, you know, and I start to challenge them and say, well, why do you think we have homelessness? And, you know, why do you think there is crime? And why mm. do you think, um, you know, in, if there's Indigenous issues being explored? And, you know, like it's it's a really good way of getting them at a younger, early age to start um, 
obviously being empathic and understanding why those situations might be occurring, but also to start thinking about solutions. And you never have to dampen their ideas. It doesn't matter whether it's reality or not, but, you know, just throwing out and say, well, how would you solve homelessness? You know, what do you think uh, we should do about this issue? Or, you know, what do you think your friends would say if you got them around and said, hey, we need to solve a particular social issue? So I think there's never a too young age to start making them critically analyse the situations that they're seeing in the news and the social media all the time. The other thing I I feel that I'd really like to say is I think that we need to role model, you know, our concern for social justice. You know, we Mm. we need to role model that empathy. As parents, we should really catch ourselves when we're being judgmental or when we've got certain bias and... Um, okay, that's reality and natural, but we really need to watch what we say and challenge ourselves first and foremost and allow our children to see ourselves being, you know, struggling with these issues and, you know, being honest with them about our bias and about our perceptions. And if you, you know, if you've never been to a prison or if you've never worked in an Indigenous community or you've never met a homeless person, we need to really challenge ourselves and say, well, hang on a minute, you know, perhaps we should think a little bit more about what's going on, you know, that empathy. We should really encourage ourselves to role model that with our children. Yeah, absolutely. There's some great reflections there, Ruth. So what advice then would you give to the social entrepreneurs out there who are working really hard to create this positive impact? Well, I think the first thing is to just get better at asking questions. I think um, if we're social entrepreneurs and we're always looking for solutions, we tend to be very quick at trying to find solutions. You know, we, we get really excited when we think about solutions, but the problem is then that we're often not understanding the problem well enough. And so what we teach our students here at the centre is we really ask them to ask good questions and think about who they need to speak to because there are, are people, you know, they obviously people within universities who have researched issues for many years, but there are organisations, there are experts in the field, and, of course, there are beneficiaries, the, the clients, you know, the, yeah. the people within the community that are living these situations And I think that we need to be much better at going and asking questions about their experience and the factors that influence them so that we can then when we start, when we're ready and we feel that we have a really good understanding about why these situations are occurring, well, then our solutions are much more likely um, to be successful, you know, to have an impact. Yep. I love human-centred design. That's a methodology that we love here. Um, Human-centred design is obviously just one methodology, but it really is a good framework which stops people from rushing into that solution too quick or investing too much in a solution that you really haven't tested and tried and, um, you know, evaluated even on a small scale. So I like human-centred design because also it really encourages you to co-design your solution. So really, again, not thinking about it's all about you and your ideas, but you have to really go out and co-design with um, business and government and and beneficiaries, the community themselves. And so I, I really like that framework because it really does remind us 
that I think as social entrepreneurs, we need to just not rush into solutions, but we really need to spend time exploring the factors and the reasons, a systems view. I, I take very much a systems view and, you know, having a look at the system because these issues that we're facing today, Tom, are long-term issues, you know, crime yeah. and homelessness and violence and domestic violence and all of those, you know, very complex problems have been around for a long time and so there is no quick solution and we, we, we must really understand the complexity of them before we um, start rushing into, um, yeah, things that we think might work but we need to make sure that they do. Yeah, oh, that's some excellent advice there, Ruth. Thanks for sharing that. So getting close to the end now, are there any really inspiring projects or initiatives that you've come across that you believe are creating some great positive social change? Well, uh, there is there is a lot. <laughs> there are a lot of great social enterprises and social, um, you know, projects that are going on at the moment. So it's really hard to narrow it down. But I think I'd like to just share with you one, um, which is a student of ours. She came, um, she's working in the sector, but came here, got really inspired by the concept of social enterprise and had really been doing a little bit, but hadn't really been realising how to develop it into a full-blown social enterprise and I think you know her her name's Leanne Butterworth oh, um, she is uh, she started a, a social enterprise called lose your mind and you can have a look at it on loseyourmind.com.au and Leanne I just love her passion and her enthusiasm to uh, um, use um, virtual reality to encourage people to have empathy with people with a mental illness. And uh, it's a fantastic innovation that she's done. And she's now, you know, she's already starting to work all over the world with people, especially those that work with people with a mental illness. Mm. Um, but she's working with families and she's working with the community in many different ways to encourage them to break down the stigma of mental illness and also to have a lot more empathy with people who have mental illness. So um, definitely check out loseyourmind.com.au and see what Leanne's doing. The other little one that I, I really am inspired by, and this goes back to how we can encourage young people and millennials and, you know, younger ones to think about the impact they can make, um, Joshua uh, is a 15-year-old entrepreneur who loves surfing and he was a young man, or he is a young man, he's still young, um, he's a young man who really started to be very aware of uh, not only his own skincare when he was out surfing but also the environmental issues of uh, sunscreen. Mm. And so he basically went away and developed his own sunscreen and you can check it out at seagoldmilk.com. And Joshua has really put a lot of time and effort into developing an environmentally friendly sun cream um, and he also invests some of the money that he raises through this product back into environmental issues. So very inspired by young people like Joshua who, you know, has seen an issue um, and said, I can make a difference. Two really, really great examples there, Ruth. So finally, books. Are there any books that you recommend to our listeners? Yes, I'd love to recommend a few. Um, I think for me one of the important things I think we need to do is always build our own resilience. Mm. And 
any book to do with resilience, read it. Like, you know, if it talks about building resilience of not only us as individuals, but us as a community, I think we should be reading that. But one that you might like to read is The Resilience Factor mm. um, by Karen Redchip and a- Andrew Shake. I don't know if I've said that right, but anyway, um, if you just look up The Resilience Factor, that's a great book talking about how to build resilience. And we're, if we're social entrepreneurs, we very easily get burnt out and frustrated and, you know, it's hard work. So we really need to build our own resilience. So mm. I think that's an important one. We obviously need to be inspired by innovation. Um, if we're going to continue to be motivated to be social entrepreneurs, we need to read anything we can about innovation um, and the one that I love is a book called Design, When Everyone Designs mm. by Ezio Manzini. Yep. Um, just just look up that book, Design, When Everyone Designs. And that's, again, a really great book, just um, having a look at the way that social innovation can really guide our um, ability to think about sustainable practices and how we're looking after, you know, our our people, the people in our community, but also our earth and, and, you know, our world that we live in. There's also another great book called Navigating Change for International NGOs, a practical handbook. I'd like to put that one out there for people who, not necessarily, you don't have to be working in international development, but it's a really just great tool book I think um, it's by James Crowley and Morgana Ryan and they put together a really simple to read but very informative book about um, encouraging change and people being open to change um, not just in an as I say not just in an international development sector but also I think we can learn a lot from that you know here in Australia and finally if you Allow me, Tom, I'd really like to just offer a personal recommendation um, of a book that really changed my life a few years ago Mm. and really is integral to a lot of my personal relationships but also my work relationships. You may have heard of it. It's called The Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Mm -hmm. Um, It's uh, it's a simple-to-read book and there's actually lots of them now and he's even done one uh, for showing love in the workplace, which I I really love that one. But if you just get the first one, which is just the basic called The Love Languages, you just learn a lot about human connection and how we, you know, communicate with each other and how we show love and care and concern for each other. Mm. And as I said, I got that. You know, many years ago, someone gave that to me and it really impacted me personally, but also professionally. And I've used it a lot in my work. And so if you haven't read The Love Languages, please go out and check it out because I think, yeah, I think it's a, a really must read for everyone. Excellent. Well, I'll, I'll stick some links through to the books at the bottom of the article, Ruth. So, Ruth, thank you so much for sharing your generous insights and time today. We really appreciate it. And we'll look forward to following your work into the future and, and touching base again soon. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.